Dublin. Oh, Justin Madden's got the set. One hand. Oh, oh, oh. oh the post is broken. Matthews hit it. Oh, talk about a he-man. Dream rises to the top. He is an absolute legend of the game. This is your football life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Oh, thank you very much for joining us today right across this wonderful nation. And as we move towards the early part of the season, who's going to be the team to look for? Who are the new stars? And can we get someone from the Northern Hemisphere to do what our guest has done today? He joins us, and can you guess who he is? He played 197 AFL games for Sydney between 2001-2008 and then came back again in 2010 through 2011. The first Irishman to win an AFL Premiership in 2005 and last week was inducted into the Sydney Swans Hall of Fame. He was born in County Kerry Island on the 1st of July, 1981. He's a star, and if you don't recognise this man, you have not been on the earth. Ty Canelli, welcome to This Is Your Football Life. Thanks, Rex. That's an incredible introduction. Well, it's an, in, it's an incredible story. Before you, Jim Steins was the measuring stick. And, you know, you're in the 200 club. Uh, Jimmy's not in the premiership club. You're in the premiership club. And I think anybody who plays the game aspires to play in a premiership with their friends. And if you can add a couple of hundred games to that, well, there's not yet 500 <laughs> blokes out of 13,000 that have done that. So you're in pretty special company. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty strange, you know, Rex, you, you grow up and not knowing a whole lot about the game and, and, and not knowing much about Australia and not knowing, like I said, not a whole lot about AFL and uh, I suppose to get the accolades now, I've started to reflect a small bit obviously since uh, last week and getting inducted into the Swans Hall of Fame, but I think as footballers, generally it's always looking forward, looking forward and, and we often don't reflect and I really hadn't reflected, I suppose, until, until last week, um, but it's, it's yeah, it's, I was just a young fella coming out, just trying to make my way, um, you know. And I had people like Jimmy and Sean White that really had set the set the stone in, in place for for us in the Northern Hemisphere, like you said, to come out and uh, and have a crack at this great game. Quite amazing that you now are part of folklore forever, for as long as uh, football is here in the Sydney Dash South Melbourne Hall of Fame. You're there with the likes of Skilton, Kazali, <laughs> Kelly. You're there, mate. Uh, you were just a wonderful, wonderful Gaelic football player, but you made the transition better than most. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite humbling, you know. It really, like I said, you, uh, I really came out thinking, you know, I'd probably come out and try and better myself as a Gaelic footballer for a couple of years, and then all of a sudden you just fall in love with the place and fell in love with the game, and I really became extremely determined in trying to make play one game of AFL football, and once that happened, really. Like I said, I, I fell in love with the club and, and really became determined to be as good as I could as a footballer and um, and as good as I could for the club, really. And uh, I had some incredible people around me, um, you know, that really helped me settle in. You know, look, you look at football clubs today and it's all about welfare managers and the development coaches and whatnot. You know, when I arrived out, there was a senior coach and three assistant coaches. And yeah. that was it. Yes. Um, it was very, very different. And, you know, I actually arrived at the airport and I couldn't come through immigration because the club hadn't a visa sorted for me. So I had to wait for three or four hours until they actually got yeah. a hold of immigration and, and got me through. So it, it it wasn't easy, but there are things that I suppose make the journey in, in the long term when you look back 
even more enjoyable, those experiences as 17, 18-year-olds coming from the other side of the world. Ty Canelli joins us. He's a star. He's a 200-game veteran. He's a premiership player, so he's just got the best credentials of a man. But he's from the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, goodness <laughs> gracious me. Uh, you had a pretty fair start at County Kerry. Uh, tell us about your early years there playing Gaelic football because apart from the the... the the, the, the size of the ball and also the shape of the ball, the games of mm. Australian football and and your game are not not poles apart. No, they're not poles apart. You know, I think obviously the Irish influence certainly had the, had the influence in the game of AFL. I think, you know, growing up playing Gaelic football, look, I grew up like most young fellas <clears throat> growing up, they, they idolised their father. You know, my father played for Kerry and won five premierships, so I had a lot to live up to. But, that's what I wanted to do was try and grow up and do what my father had done. The games themselves, you know, Gaelic football and the reading and understanding of the game of AFL and Gaelic football are very, very similar. You know, the ball goes in one side, comes out the other side. A lot of reading and understanding the play is very similar. Of course, the, the football itself and the ball and the dimensions of the ground are a lot different. But certainly there's a lot of things that are similar in the, in the game. Now, when you get that ball in your hand for the first time as an 18-year-old and you're looking at it going, well, someone says to you what shape a ball is, you'll say it's round. You won't say it's awful. Um, and that is just such a foreign object to have in your hands, you know. And uh, it, it took time and, and a lot of practice. But like I said, growing up, you know, it wasn't the oval ball I had in my hand. It was the round ball, you know. Really. Yeah. We used to say things, you know, you'd, you'd make that ball sing if you could as a kid because all you ever had in my hand was a round ball. And, and certainly I'd be trying to make that ball sing as a kid. Uh, before we get on to your extraordinary career down under, uh, tell us a little bit about your late father, Tim. Uh, he was a legend of the Gaelic Code. Yeah, so my, my, like I said, my father, you know, growing up, you you idolise your father, really. And, um, you know, he, he'd won five premierships as captain of the team. And uh, myself and my brother, my older brother, you know, really just used to have a football in our hand trying to evaluate what my father had done. Um, and where we come from in, in Ireland, Kerry, it's a real strong, strong traditional part of, of, of Gaelic football in Ireland. Um, and that team, my father's team, had played in um, seven of ten grand finals that, that in that era between wow. 75, between 75 and, and 84. So yeah. extremely similar to the Hawthorne team, I suppose, you know, that that, that era of, of Gaelic football and, and AFL, you know, it was Hawthorne and obviously that the Kerry football back home. So, um, you know, we just did everything we could to, treat, to better ourselves as Gaelic footballers um, and, and try and do what my father had done, you know. And uh, if we owned a pub, uh, we lived above stairs, like most Irish people. Um, had a pub and I had a farm. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a great place to be brought up. And uh, certainly, you know, he was a huge influence in my football career. Just wonderful. We know what a career, a marvellous career, career you had at Sydney. You were etched in the Sydney Football Club history forever as a premiership player, as a legend. Uh, I, my people tell me that Danny Frawley, when his assistant mm -hmm. coached the spud at Collingwood, <laughs> he was actually the first point of contact for you down under. You got some good researchers there. Got some very, very... They need to get more paid, highly paid. Uh, certainly, yeah, it was... Uh, what year was it? it was 96. Yeah. Um, and Danny, Danny was the assistant coach uh, with Collingwood at the time, and they came over and uh, uh, had a clinic, and they offered me a contract there and then. Um, and it just blew me away. I'd actually heard nothing about the game, nothing at all. Um, I suppose I was lucky the fact that they were looking for a kid at that age. You know, it could have been a year younger, a year earlier. Um, but I, growing up, like I said, you know, you're playing under under 15, under under 18. Um, as, a, as a young fellow, so obviously my name was there as far as, as an Irish talent. 
then from there, really, Sydney and um, and Carlton came on board. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, from there, it was just really Ricky Barham and Sydney. Um, it was just really keen. It was constant contact. Um, you know, they were, they were constantly talking to my parents about the whole thing. Came over, flew over a couple of times to meet my parents. Yeah. And, uh, from, that's really where I made the decision as did, far as... Did, did you know much about the, the AFL-VFL? Uh, did you, you obviously knew of Jimmy Steins and what mm. he did, but did did you have a full understanding or is, was it only when Frawley and then finally Ricky Barham from Sydney approached you and you thought, this is serious, I better take a bit of an interest in this funny-looking code down under? <laughs> yeah, that was pretty much it, Rex, really. So this, you know, you, I heard about Jimmy. Um, Sean White actually came from the stall, so it's, it's quite yeah. scary to think of a... A small country town where I come from with two and a half thousand people that two players Goodness would go me. over and play a game of AFL football with uh, obviously Sean playing 150 games. So yeah. um, both our parents were from, from the store. Sean obviously is Scotland and moved over to Ireland. But um, didn't know a whole lot about it. Like I said, you knew Sean and Jimmy. Um, and then once the interest started coming, I started taking a bit of interest. There wasn't a whole lot of internet back there then either. <laughs> either X, you know, so it was, a, it was a lot of word of mouth talking to people about it, um, you know, and uh, I know Collingwood actually and in, in, in Sydney sent over some footage of the games and whatnot and what it was like, um, um, and uh, it scared the crap out of my mom because it, it, was, it, was, like, it was like a, a footage, if you've ever seen, with the biggest bumps and hits of AFL, which is yeah. the craziest thing you could ever do and send an Irish mom of a kid 17 years of age <laughs> to try and impress him on how to bring him on to Australia. Now, but, um, now, now before but, we take a break and come back and uh, you know just travel with you when you get to Australia, the early years, the difficulty understanding things and that sort of thing, was a major difference the size and shape of the ball where yours is round and ours is over. Was that a huge consideration or did you make the transition pretty easily? <laughs> I'd like to say I made it easy, correct? But uh, no, look, it, it was difficult. So I referred to it once, you know, you know, when the wrong ball bounces, it bounces through. It's pretty simple, really, you know, and uh, to kick the wrong ball is probably harder now, having done it for so long with the AFL ball for 15 years of the Sharon. But I did refer to it a couple of times and, and as a rabbit. You know, I'd go for a ball here and it bounced and it bounced left and I'd go for it over there and it bounced right. And it just was an absolute headache for me for years. And for years, really. And it made me look like an idiot, you know. And uh, that's what was, was quite frustrating. I was like, what's wrong with this ball? Like, it's not a ball. A ball is round, you know. And uh, it certainly made me look like a fool. And it certainly still does make a lot of AFL footballers look like fools at times, you know. Well, I, th- but, I think, uh, think that's a great thing about our game, the uncertainty, isn't yeah. it? It, but, it is, Rex, and that and that's what I really enjoyed about it, you know, and and, and that's what I really love about the NFL and Australian rules is just there's so many things that you can't control as a footballer. And you might think yeah. you are the master of it, but that thing can make you look it, like a fool. It's brought the best of us down, whether it was 50 years ago <laughs> with me, mate, or a couple of years ago with you. This is Ty yeah. Canelli. Isn't it a delight to hear him right across Australia today on behalf of Tobin Brothers? He's a star. He's a premiership star, a member of the 200 Club, and that's pretty exclusive, folks, I can tell you now. And after the break, we'll continue with This Is Your Football Life with Ty, and check us out on Twitter at Rex Football Life. And it's all about Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Football Life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Dream rises to the top. He is an absolute legend of the game. You're listening to This Is Your Football Life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. 
folks, a great performer has presence on stage. They work hard at engaging audiences, and even after the curtains fall, they leave a lasting impression. These qualities make them stand out from the rest. Tobin Brothers Funerals is a perfect example of this. After 80 years, they continue to shine. They believe funerals can be a celebration of life and always strive to be innovative and contemporary. These distinguishing qualities make Tobin Brothers Funerals the true performers they are today. And welcome back on behalf of Tobin Brothers to This Is Your Football Life. The Irishman, the travelling Irishman, who's now, uh, well, mainly an Aussie here, doing good stuff with kids, Ty Canelli, and he joins us on This Is Your Football Life today. OK, uh, let's now leave Ireland and uh, tell us about your first months and your first year when you landed in Australia. Was it what you expected, or did you think, what on earth am I doing here? Yeah, look, Rich, you're 18 years of age, you know, and you come out, you think that the world's very green, especially if you're an Irishman, everything's green. But the world, I was a very green, innocent young fella, and uh, you come to Sydney, you know, like I said, 2,500 people I lived and uh, brought to Sydney with 5 million people. Um, you know, it was all excitement, it was great, it was buzz, it was a journey. Um, and after about three or four weeks, the penny started to drop <laughs> um, and started to realise how difficult, how hard it was being so far away from home and family. Um, you know, the, the, the biggest difference, I think, was, was growing up. Anything ever went wrong in my life, I was difficult. I used to love going out onto the football field. Um, but I was homesick. I was struggling to being away from home. So yeah. then when I got to the football field, the football field was even more foreign than what was life was on off-field. So I really had no comfort zone as far as being comfortable for myself. And, and I certainly did struggle for the first probably six months of being out here and like I said, I just had no comfort zone. I struggled with homesickness, and then I tried to get on the footy field, and that was as foreign to me as, as it was off-field. Uh, you, you spent the first couple of years really learning the game, didn't you? You didn't mm. really go crash and go to the highest level. Mm. You certainly had to did an, do an apprenticeship. And uh, I think the, uh, the association between Australia and Ireland in those games certainly highlighted the fact that, hey, uh, you know, we can get some good kids like you from the Northern Hemisphere. We haven't seen it go the other way there, but the games are so similar. But, it, but, but eventually mm. you, things started to fall into place, Ty. Yeah, certainly, Rex. Look, uh, Georgie Stone, the assistant coach at Sydney, you know, and 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 Rocket was a real stickler on on if you couldn't kick, you wouldn't play under under him. Yeah, um, Rock, and, and Rocket is Rodney, Rodney Ede for those Rodney people. Ede, yep, sorry, yep. yep. And um and 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 Rodney was really keen that if you couldn't kick, you wouldn't play under him. And uh, yeah. George Stone really just drilled me on kicking, you know. And uh, so I'd, I'd be, in the end, I became one of the better kicks in the club. Yes. You know, because of I'd spent that much time actually, and and George would often say. I think we get 18-year-olds into football clubs now and they've got a lot of bad habits. I had a blank canvas, really. I had no bad habits whatsoever. He was teaching me everything, the basic fundamentals of how to kick the ball properly with some good coaches around me. So I really yeah. had no developed no bad habits. So I'd become a good kick because we'd done so much of it. I knew, well, if I could kick, I was going to get a better chance of playing a game. And then I, I played the reserves, you know, and we played actually down the VFL, played with Port Melbourne. Um, so I used to float on every weekend down the borough and played on there under Dave Dunbar. And yeah. uh, from there then really... My se- halfway through my second year, um, I actually broke into the team. So, yeah. uh, go on, go on, continue. Yeah, and and the journey itself from there really. Once I played my first game, I became really obsessed about actually becoming a genuine football player for the wow. club. Wow, I, I yeah. really became extremely obsessed. From someone that knew nothing about it, in probably 
you know, a 12 to 14, 18 month period, yes. I became extremely obsessed about doing everything I needed to do to get a game. And, uh, and from there, really, things started to flow. The trailblazer from the Northern Hemisphere where you came from, from Ireland, was Jimmy, Jimmy Steins. And uh, and then Sean, you know, he, he Sean White, he, he, he was, uh, you know, a 150-game player. Uh, so, so what sort of pressure was on you to actually succeed? Because you were really one of the chosen ones, weren't you? Yeah, it was. A few had come out in between as well and, and hadn't had, had cut the mustard a bit. And, uh, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of pressure. And I talked to Jimmy quite a bit about the whole experience. Uh, yeah. He really was fantastic to me, himself and Sean. Um, you know, they were great. And, and, and just to have people from your own background and where you come from growing up really helps you actually think that give you this belief that you can make it because people from your own background, your own place, have actually done it in the past. And, and those two guys certainly were big influences in my career throughout especially early days when you had a lot of that self-doubt. That's probably a lot that holds back kids from Australia is not yes. having any self-belief. But you've yes. got a kid from the other side of the world. Where yeah. is he going to get his self-belief from? But it's having people like Sean and, and Jimmy around to be constantly talking was, was, was superb for me and uh, were big influences on me. Getting that self-belief and strength to know, well, you know what, hang on a second, I can do it because people like me have done it in the past. And yeah. uh, there were huge influences in me throughout the journey, but more so especially early when that self-doubt and, and that belief wasn't there on, on whether I could crack it or not. Ty Canelli is a Sydney legend, a legend of the game who came from the Northern Hemisphere and became a legend of our game. You know, Jimmy was the trailblazer and then you came along. Uh, but you had a wonderful run between 2002-2006 under Ross Lyon, who's now coaching across the Nullarbor. And you, I think, only missed five or six games in that seven-year period. You have to be fit, number one, and I think you have to have a little bit of luck on your side, Ty. Yeah, certainly. Look, I, I think, you know, with, with, with Rusey and, and Rossi and John Longmore, the, the coaching staff was just incredible that we had at that football club. And, and, and you know, I think your body as a young fella, you know, you, you get through, and like you said, Rex, have, have some look on your side when you, you do get an option to go, that could have been a lot worse than what it was. Um, I certainly had a good run, you know, and there was very limited rotations back then, you know, I know in 2005. I played every minute of every game all the way through the grand final. Actually, never came off the ground that year. You know, yeah. and that's—it's only ten years ago. It is a long time in football, but the game is very, very different. Then you know, you really obviously need to have a big tank and endurance. But we certainly had some incredible coaches around the place that uh, that really were strong and being honest. We had a really strong culture amongst the group. Um, you know, and it's often talked about a North Dickhead policy, and, and basically, it's not a secret. Everyone thinks about the Bloods and the Swans culture being the secret, but yeah. it really isn't. It was just an honest place that, you know, if you weren't doing the work, you were taught about it, and if you were stepping outside things, you were taught about it, and, and you accepted the criticism because the criticism came was the better use of footballer, which inevitably bettered us as a team, and that, yeah. that really was that era that drove us on to become so successful because of that honesty that was in place. Back at County Kerry, you know, as a kid and, and, and your dad, who's just a legend of the game back in Ireland, uh, do you sort of sit back in a, in a quiet moment and do you think, you know, you're part of a group of players, you know, who have played the game 200 or more times, you know, and, and there's, there's not even 500, and premiership players, that you came out here and you made such a success of it, or you're not that surprised? Uh, yeah, I am. You know, it's quite overwhelming last week and I was getting the Hall of Fame like I said Rex I often in fact I never really reflected on on what I've been able to achieve so far you know it's really been a case of move on move forward it's almost I think embedded in footballers 
our sports people to really push forward and not reflect too bad too much on on the past and really move forward. You know, and I think that's what last week I really appreciate the fact that I was able to look back at Smallville and in, in getting the Hall of Fame in Sydney that I was able to actually look back and it wasn't an easy journey for me. You know, it was extremely difficult. Um, you know, the homesickness. Then, then before the passing away, you know, when I was yeah. 23 and the other side of the world, I, I became a real hatred towards the country of Australia because I never really, really? got to know my, fa- I never really got to know my father. You know, I'd left 17, 18, the true father. You know, it was between the age of 18 and 30, you get to know the real stories about your father. Yeah, those kind of things. And then obviously the injuries that I had towards the latter part of my career. So it wasn't an easy journey, and it wasn't until last week where I really reflected on actual the journey itself because. I'd always been busy and pushing forward, move on, move on. Okay, what's next? What's next? And uh, it was quite an emotional experience for me, actually. Yeah, uh, particularly losing your dad at, at such a young age for him and at such a young age for you and you mm. being so far away from home. But all it does, it just builds a stronger character. And we're talking mm. to Ty Canale, a, uh, a legend of the Sydney Swans. Our time is nearly up. Uh, let's cover what you're doing at the moment. You're in Australia. You're uh, AF, uh, working for the AFL, coach with the New South Wales ACT term, teams, the young kids, the budding stars. You obviously love it. I absolutely love it. You know, I, I, I really enjoy giving the kids the opportunity that I got, first of all, internationally, the Irish boys and, and the, in the US and New Zealand, giving them an opportunity to play a game they never knew about, giving the opportunity to come to a country that's incredible and has given me so much and a game that's given me so much. And then obviously in New South Wales, ACT, you know, we've still got a lot of work to do up here. The academies are copying a bit of criticism at the moment, yeah, but yeah. there's so much work and so much talent. The coaches need so much coaching, but the development of these younger players, it, it's just a joy to see because it takes me back to the where I was, you know, and I think sometimes in coaching, um, you know, the best that I got was real simple, real basic, keep it, you can overcoach kids, and I think that's what we have a problem with that in this country at the moment, that we are overcoaching a lot of our players, and we really need to just strip it back and keep it as simple as you can. A couple of messages really is key. Just like, a dog, just like a dog on the leash, tag. Just, just give it, them, a, just let them make mistakes. Nothing wrong with making mistakes. Exactly right. How do you learn, you know, and I think yeah. coaching today, a lot of people, and they love looking at as a coach and they want to look at training, look beautiful. Our training looks absolutely fantastic. Have a look at them. All they're doing is five-point kicking. But yeah. that's not what a game is like. Game yeah. is chaos. A game is chaotic. It's, there's mistakes all the time. And that's what kids need to learn themselves by making mistakes. And uh, that's certainly what we're trying to do from a coaching perspective in New South Wales ACC. You know, we're, we're looking enough last year to get nine players recruited onto an AFL list, which was fantastic. There's a lot of work to be done with so many actual kids in the country, in the state, that really need a lot of work. And, uh, you know, the academies are certainly doing a lot of work for us, um, you know, but it's not easy. um, And it's going to continue. I think that the the joy that I get out of actually, I suppose, imparting some of my lessons that I learned and and more sort of off-field stuff as well. You know, it's not an easy easy thing to do. You know, you really have to have... Have a steely character, like you said, Rick. Try and crack the game of AFL football because there's so many people and so many players that want to do it. Well, the you know, out of the nearly 13,000 people who have played, you know, the average is still under 40 games. You know, so you're mm. with the elite, and that premiership medallion they can never take it away from you. It's been a delight to chat. You're an inspiration, coming all the way from the Northern Hemisphere to become a legend of our game, and we thank you for your time today. Thank you, Rex. Really appreciate it. It's lovely. Ty Canelli, uh, a star of the game, a legend of the Sydney Swans and the AFL. And if you'd like to hear the extended version of this interview, check out facebook.com forward slash Tobin Brothers Funerals 
or follow us on Twitter at Rex Football Life. And thank you for joining us. And why don't you join us next Sunday morning at 7.30 as we go in search again of the stars of This Is Your Football Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers, celebrating lives.